Let me talk to you today about another one of the four. If you were here last week, uh, we talked about how uh, from time to time we want to refresh our ideas. We want to refresh our, our purpose statements, our mission statements, so that we can re- recall quickly what it is that we're about as a church. Uh, we have basically uh, taken this statement for ourselves to remind us of what the church has been about for the last 2,000 years. Say it with me. Everybody ready? We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. You can say it in other ways, and maybe you've been a part of churches who've said it better, uh, but for us, this is what we're kind of focusing on as a church and have been in our existence, and the church in general has been in two, for the 2,000 years of its existence. The church people, we live to glorify God. In fact, as I'll talk today about worship, that's why God created us, to glorify himself, all right? So our stated purpose as human beings is to glorify God. The way we do it as Christians is that we seek to become the very best followers of Jesus Christ that we can. We want to be the best disciples that we can. Because as we follow God, God is glorified. And the the last part of our mission there can be accomplished. If if we follow God correctly and follow him well, uh, the, the multiplication of the kingdom of God the expansion of God and his people will just naturally take place because we won't be able to shut up about him because we're so excited about him and uh, more and more people will know him and follow him. So as we are better disciples, God will use us to make more disciples. That's our mission. Now we said last week as we live out this mission, we want to do it in the context of some values. And so we created four value statements from the eight that we had because four is less and it's easier to remember. Does anybody remember the four that we talked about? They're on your bulletins. Totally cheat if you want. But here we go, read them with me. We worship, we belong, we serve, and we multiply. Those are the driving values of our church, to worship God, uh, to belong to him and to each other. We talked about that last week. Uh, We know that the Trinity itself belongs to itself, that God, the Father, Son, and Spirit live in this co-eternal, co-existence relationship, and uh, God has created us to function in the same way, to belong to him and to belong to each other. Uh, We uh, are going to crack open this idea of worship, which we'll find is the driving force of the other three. If we uh, understand worship and do it correctly, uh, we'll want to belong to God and to each other. Uh, We'll seek opportunities to serve him, to serve the world that he's made. Uh, We'll be active in multiplying his kingdom with him and for him. So let's talk about worship as we move forward this morning. Uh, what do you worship? Turn to someone next to you and tell them what you worship. And let's just kind of get the givens out of the way. I know we're church. You're supposed to say God, you know, and all that stuff. It's great. Everybody good? Everybody good with that? We're going to have that as kind of our given. But what are the things that you get excited about in life, the things that you share your adoration with? Turn to someone next to you. Tell them the first thing that comes to your mind. What do you worship in life? Go ahead. All right, some of you are talking a bunch. Some of you aren't talking at all because you're just not going to fall for it. You think, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to say, ah, see, you shouldn't be worshiping those things. You should only be worshiping God. No, we, listen, God created things uh, that glorify him. And when we worship things that he's created in a proper <laughs> amount or a proper context, it's totally fine. We should enjoy uh, what God has created. So what, what did you say when you said you worship? Like if you were on Facebook and you wanted to post you know, something that you enjoy or celebrate, uh, what would those things be? Anybody say family? Who said family? Okay, you adore your family, that's great. Anybody say their pets? 
Yeah, last night we had, a, we, had a, we had pet people last night. All right. Anybody say food? I'm amazed at the number of pictures that are on Facebook of food. Like, thank you for sharing your dinner with us, but hey, settle down. That's, that's just fuel. Settle. But, but, but I can understand that. I was in uh, Baltimore, I think I told you last week. I stopped uh, at, on a flight in Baltimore, and, and I went to a, just an airport diner. I had the best piece of pie. I can't stop thinking about this pie. <laughs> it was the perfect balance of salty caramel and sweet vanilla. Anyway, I just, I'm just going to start talking. Um, <laughs> Let's define worship. Uh, we worship. Everybody worships. Let me before I get to this definition. Everybody worships. Even if you don't believe in God, you're still a worshiper because God made you. Even if you don't believe that, and He created you to worship, specifically Him. You're going to hear that a lot today. But if you don't choose to worship God, you're going to worship something because that's just how you're made. You are made to worship something. Now, worship this is my definition. If you don't like it. I'm not offended. Worship is the act of giving one's attention, admiration, and ultimately our adoration to what one sees as ultimate. In any given moment, uh, we'll look at something and and it will either uh, lead us to say, meh, not that great. Or we'll look at it and be like, oh, that's interesting. And then we'll experience it and we'll be like, oh, that feels great, or, or that makes me feel awesome. And then we'll get to the point where we're like, Man, this is the best thing ever. And if you read my email this week, our hands start coming together. We make noises like, woohoo, right? Because we get excited about things. We worship things. It's like uh, the sizes at Cold Stone. Anybody been to that ice cream shop? You know, it's kind of following the phase. Like it, love it, gotta have it. I mean, those are nice ways to kind of, you know, grade out gluttony, but... uh, <laughs> it, 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 worship just kind of has that progression. Something draws our attention, it wins our admiration, and finally just pours over, or, or excuse me, wins our admiration, and then it pours over into our adoration. We just can't help ourselves. We just can't help ourselves. We ultimately compliment and promote the things that we worship. Because as C.S. Lewis says, worship or praise is the compilation or the consummation of our enjoyment. You ever thought about that? Like if you enjoy something, it's just natural for you to, who, who does this? It's natural for us to clap. It's natural for us to, woohoo! Like I was, I was laying in bed uh, watching the 2004 World Series. Uh, guess who won? Uh, yeah, the, the team from Boston won, and they'd never won in my lifetime, in most people's lifetimes at the time. It was 86 years since they'd won the last time. And I was laying in bed, it was late at night, my sweet wife was laying next to me. I'm watching in silence, no volume on the TV in our bedroom because it was so late and I wanted to sleep. But of course I was gonna watch the thing, okay? And when the last pitch was made and the last out was accomplished, um, I couldn't yell and scream. She would hit me, right? (laughs) But I certainly couldn't just lay there Because after this long wait of of rooting for a team that had been so inept for so long, they'd finally won. And so you gotta know, have you ever seen this scene like a movie? Like someone can't yell out loud, but I am yelling with all of my might without making a noise, right? And I'm punching at the air and I'm screaming and I, inside, and and, and, you know, I hear my wife stir and I'm like, (laughs) but then I go right back to pumping my fist and stand up and do a little dance, yeah. It's because my enjoyment, my hopes, and my, 
uh, excitement. I just couldn't stay inside. That's what worship does. It, it flows out of you. Uh, it's the outpouring of our joy in something. It, it, when we worship something, we tell other people about it. Like when we truly admire and then adore something, we can't shut up about it. That's why I keep telling you guys about the Slim Clip. It's the greatest uh, wallet invention of in our modern history. And you got to have one. If, if you don't have one, I don't understand. What's your problem? But I speak of the Slim Clip in such a way because I think it's the greatest thing ever. I rightly, in its context, worship the Slim Clip. Don't have a, an altar to it or anything in my house, but it's uh, how worship works. Attention, admiration, adoration. Well, as you can imagine, we're going to talk today about our true purpose in worship. God created us to worship him as our ultimate. So he's okay with us enjoying and adoring the things that he's created, but he never created us to worship created things. He never worshiped us to ever terminate our worship on anything else but him. In fact, God should be our ultimate in such a way that everything else is a far distant second to him at all times. He is our ultimate. The Trinity, uh, even as uh, I think about God and his triune nature, they glorify each other. Like Jesus is in John chapter 17, he's about to go to the cross, and he says to the Father, Father, be glorified in me, and glorify me, verse 3. Honor me, uh, raise me up as I go to the cross for the sake of mankind. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes to point us to the Son and to the Father. There's, there's this co-eternal, co-equal glorification within the Trinity of, of, of each other. And so God has made us to glorify him as we are created in his image. He wants us not just to worship him in songs on Sunday, but always and in everything. He tells us through Paul as he writes to the Colossians in chapter 3 of his letter uh, to them, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. I'm hoping that's happening right now. And then sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Worship him through music. He goes on and he finishes this way. Not just in music, not just in preaching, not just at church. In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Or maybe even better for us in our understanding, for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything so that when people see you, they, they see Jesus and they think well of Jesus because of how you've lived your lives. Do these things, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says it another way to his friends in Corinth. He says, so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all, what? To the glory of God. We are always worshiping something. God wants for us to be worshiping first and foremost. He wants us to get so uh, adept, so used to worshiping him in every form of our lives that it just becomes our, our nature. Our, our first nature is to worship ourselves. Old man, right? Worship me, worship the things that I like, make it all about me. But when Jesus comes into our lives, we talked about last week from 2 Corinthians 5, the old passes away, the new comes. And the new man's mission, or woman's mission, is to get so adept, so used to just glorifying God that it becomes second nature. Has anybody ever been just honoring God with how you live your life and you don't even notice you're doing it, but everybody else does? 
Like you're the person who's you know, standing there in the line at Chipotle, been there, and, uh, and, and they give you too much change back, right? Instead of a five, they give you a 10. And you say, oh, that, that's, that's too much, here you go. And you give the 10 back, and everybody in line behind you just looks at you like, well, the universe trust tried to give you five bucks, and you, you, you just gave them the, you know, the Heisman. Why would you, why would you report you know, that, that increase? And you look back at them, and you're like, well, that's because that's lying. And I live my life to glorify God and to worship him and how I live, and so, of course, I give the money back. Or you do something that's kind, and, and people just you know, want to put you on the news because you just did something that you're supposed to do. It's how I glorify God with my life. I, I do the right thing. I, I offer myself as a, as a servant to whoever, and, and I, I don't want any you know, praise for this. This is just normal. God wants us to get to that stage in our discipleship of him. That is just our nature, our supernatural nature, to honor him in all that we do. C.S. Lewis uh, said this in his book, Letters to Malcolm. He says, as long as you notice and have to count the steps, you are not yet dancing, but learning to dance. Does anybody agree with that? He says, a good shoe is a shoe uh, that you don't notice. He's talking about familiarity. He's talking about things becoming second nature. He says, good reading becomes possible when you need not consciously think about your eyes or the light or the print or the spelling. You're just doing it. And he says this about church. He's speaking about church, but he's, he's pointing to life as, as Christians. He says, listen, the perfect church service would be one where almost, that, that we were almost unaware of. Let me say that again. The perfect church service would be one that we were almost unaware of. Our attention would have been so put upon God. I don't know what happens when you come to church, but sometimes I sit in church and I kind of evaluate. Didn't like that song. He could have said that better. He's taking way too much time preaching this sermon. Anybody been in that service? Hope it's not this one. (laughs) But you know what uh, I believe would be the ultimate achievement for a Christian's life? To sit in a service and not evaluate any of those things. Why? Because we are so wrapped in our attention and in our admiration and our adoration of our God that we just don't even care. You've been in those services where you're like, oh, it's over? You sung those songs where you're like, oh, really? We gotta do something else now? You listen to that sermon where God spoke so clearly, you're like, oh, keep going. Don't stop. Because I've just gotten to the point where I'm not noticing all these other things and my eyes are fixed in worship on the one who deserves my worship. As a church, it's my desire that we would get to this level of worship where it wouldn't just be something that we drag ourselves out of bed to do once a week on a Sunday, but it's something that just permeates our very existence. And when people look at us, they say, what's wrong with you? And we'll say, I, I really dig God. He's my ultimate. And if that makes me weird, cool. Today we're going to talk about making God our ultimate. We're going to ask the question, what keeps us from worshiping God as our ultimate? And we're going to look at a woman who, uh, (laughs) upon meeting Jesus, didn't understand who he was, didn't really understand who her God was. Uh, It's a familiar story. It's the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, But we're going to just walk with her through the things that were keeping her from seeing God as ultimate 
and hopefully help ourselves get past those things in our lives. What keeps us from worshiping God is ultimate. Let's kind of set the scene here. We're in John chapter 4, verse 5, and it says, So uh, Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Just, I know many of us know this story, but for those who might not, Jesus is hanging out. It's the three and a half years that he's on the earth. Uh, he's established uh, Early on, his, his ministry, he's called his disciples. He, last chapter, he met with this guy, uh, Nicodemus, and he talked to him uh, about you know, being born again, right? And we get our famous end zone verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Uh, he's now moved on from Jerusalem, and uh, he's heading north back to home base, which would be uh, the Galilean region. But to get there, he's taking kind of a, uh, a unique route. Most Jews would not go the direction that he's going, but he's going right through a region called Samaria. Jerusalem's down here, Galilee's up here, and Samaria is basically uh, here to the western side of the River Jordan. Jews typically crossed the Jordan, went all the way up this way, and came around this way. Why? Because Samaria, not cool. Not a great spot. If you're a Jew especially, and you were concerned about being you know, clean in the eyes of God, at least according to your religion, you didn't go to Samaria. In fact, uh, he didn't talk with Samaritans. Samaritans were seen as dogs, subhuman. Uh, they had uh, uh, intermarried. Uh, they had perverted uh, the, the Jewish faith. They'd created their own high places some 400 years preceding this. Uh, the Jews saw them as a mongrel race, and they didn't want to have anything to do with them. So Jesus, of course, <laughs> marches his disciples right through the heart of their territory. Uh, he had an appointment to keep, as we're going to see. It says in verse 6, uh, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, uh, wearied as he was from the journey, he's walking in the desert, all right? You and I call Uber, they, you know, they don't. Uh, so he sat down beside this well. Uh, it was the sixth hour, the Bible tells us uh, a little bit later that his friends, the disciples, were going into Sychar to get some sandwiches, uh, and he was just kind of hanging out at this well. Along comes a woman, a woman who is blocked in her worship and seeing God as ultimate. We're gonna find out, first of all, that she was blocked because she had chosen to drink the wrong water from the wrong well. Lots of times when we're blocked in our worship of God as ultimate, we're, we're drinking from the wrong well. We're drinking from the wrong well. Uh, a woman from Samaria, it says in verse seven, came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, I am thirsty. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, uh, would ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, furthermore, strange men had no dealings with uh, strange women. This was a huge cultural faux pas uh, on both accounts. Jesus answered, he said, hey, uh, if you knew the gift of God, referring to himself, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, uh, you would have asked him, Jesus meaning himself, and he would have given you living water. Now Jesus is speaking metaphorically, he's talking spiritually, but he's using a phrase that was common in the day uh, for uh, basically drinking water. If, if, if you had dead water, pond water, puddle water, you didn't drink that, that was called dead water, all right? But if you had living water, go ahead and drink that stuff, it's just fine. Living water was a common, uh, you know, commonly used in the vernacular of the day. And so she's not quite picking up what he's putting down. <laughs> so She's thinking about the living water that's down in this well. And she says to him in verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw this living water with. Uh, the well's deep. Where's your rope? Where's your bucket? Uh, where do you get your living water? You got like a case of Zephyr Hills behind your back or something? What's going on? 
And then she, you know, gets kind of patronizing. If he's going to give it to me, you know, and talking, you know, confusion to me, I'm going to give it back to him. Are you greater, verse 12, than our father Jacob? Uh, he gave us the well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. She says, this well's been here for hundreds of years. Uh, by the way, uh, didn't just uh, occur, you, you had to look for wells. They, you didn't have the tools, like the, you know, the trucks that we have to dig our wells, they got that big you know, hammer pipe and they just keep slamming pipes down there. I had one dug on my uh, property when I moved in there. It was fascinating to me. You just keep hammering pipes through the ground until you hit the water table. And that's how you get a well in our world. Back then, they didn't have pipes or trucks. They just kind of looked for these natural fissures that would come out of the ground and the well would kind of just bubble up that way. If they could dig a little bit, perhaps down, uh, they might find, you know, one of these fissures. But wells were not plentiful. They could not be dug as, as easily as they are today. And so she's saying, listen, I don't know what you're talking about, but Jacob found us this well. It's been watering the flocks of Israel for hundreds of years. Where's your water? Jesus goes on and he says this to her in verse 13. She says, he says, hey, everyone who drinks of this water, pointing to the well, uh, they're going to be what? Yeah, they're going to get thirsty again. Uh, anybody in here thirsty right now? Just even talking about this, you're getting thirsty, aren't you? Yeah, because uh, we drink water and it wears off. Our bodies burn it out. Now we've got to get more. That's why you can't live without it for long periods of time. Water is necessary for life. Everybody who drinks of this living water will get thirsty again, but Jesus goes metaphorical again. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them, they'll never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in him a spring. Oh, now we're talking. What are springs like? Springs are these unending sources of water. They don't have to depend on the rain or pipes or anything like that. They just flow from the water table up, and it is unending as a source uh, of hydration. A spring of water will well up to them uh, for eternal life, leading up through this life and then extending throughout eternity this water that I give them. They'll never thirst again. Yeah, she's, I'm not even picturing this woman looking at her because she's just trying to get her jug, you know, and get out of there. It's one of those. Anybody been in that conversation with someone that you didn't really have a conversation with? You didn't want to, you know, I don't want to talk to you right now, but you're making me. <laughs> uh, the woman says to him, Listen, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again and again and again and again. <laughs> the interaction starts normally enough, but quickly it moves beyond the physical to the spiritual, and the woman's not getting it. Uh, she's preoccupied with her priorities. What's her priority on this given day, the sixth hour, which is by way, when, when, when's the sixth hour? Anybody remember? It's noon. If you go to the Bible and it talks about the sixth hour, the ninth hour, start at 6 a.m. That's when the clock begins in the Jewish, uh, you know, uh, culture that we're talking about. And so this is noon. It's high noon in the desert. She's getting water, and that's all she wants to focus on. She's so focused on her priority that she doesn't recognize yet uh, that the Son of God is speaking to her, that the Son of God is offering her the, the greatest gift that could ever be given in existence, eternal life, uh, water in a well that won't one dry. Uh, I think often we, we fall prey to the same kind of distraction. In fact, that, that's what I would kind of uh, classify sin as. sin as. Sin is basically any distraction or any deviation away from the worship of God. It's what takes us off of our, you know, our, our created design, which was to glorify him and honor him, and it, and it puts that 
attention, that focus, that design onto something else. And we make priorities of things that were never meant to be our priorities. There's all kinds of idols, is another word that the Bible calls these distractions uh, that we could talk about. But I think there's, there's basically three big ones in the culture that we live in. The first one being this well that we drink from called money and comfort. Uh, especially here in America, we think we could buy ourselves uh, uh, to a state of well-being, that we can fulfill ourselves by the things that we have or the things that money can bring. Um, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. That kind of mentality. But here, here's the amazing thing about stuff. Uh, we drink from that well, and then the well runs dry. Why? Because here's the truth about all of your shopping sprees, all your shopping uh, outings. You're just stocking up for your next garage sale. <laughs> That's all you're doing. Because you're going to love that stuff for a little while, but guess what? That stuff's going to break. Uh, like happened just this past week with my daughter. Someone's going to steal that stuff. Someone took her computer out of her uh, townhouse that she was just moving into. She had to buy another one. Uh, lock your door. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, things are going to wear out. You're going to get bigger than the things that you wear. Stuff that you own, it's not going to fulfill. Not f fully, not always. It's going to have its time, its place. And certainly it's not sinful to have things, but it's certainly stupid to worship things. Another thing that we tend to worship in our culture is relationships, sex, um, you know, connection, uh, we think if we could just find the right person, uh, then that will fulfill us. So we drink from that. I'm going to get really saturated here. <laughs> but eventually the same is true of these relationships. You want to know how I know? Because people disappoint all the time. Marriages end. Even if they don't end, they can go so poorly that they hurt and abuse as opposed to fulfill. Uh, we can, as we see with this woman, try over and over and over again to find meaning in people, but people fail. There's a, a third well, and there's more, uh, but this one is, is uh, becoming uh, even more popular in the culture that we live in. We, we, we want approval, we want success. We, we want to be seen as someone who is successful. That, that's why we uh, so painstakingly, you know, work on our uh, social media. You know, like, uh, oh, it's time for a new profile pic, so selfies until I get the right one, right? Make sure you hold it up here so my double chin disappears, you know, and just keep taking them. No, not that one, no. Because here's what we want to do on social media. We want to think, we, we want to cause everybody to think that our lives are way better than they really are. I'm still looking for the Facebook post that puts all the garbage up there. Hey, my wife and I had an argument today. I was a jerk. LOL, right? <laughs> no, but we're always talking about all the great things that are going on in our lives because uh, subconsciously or not, we just love people to think we're, we're great. We, we want to achieve this level of success and acceptance. But here's, <laughs> here's what happens with that. Uh, people love us for a time, but then they don't. 
and it can turn on a dime, right? Uh, in, a, in, a, in a world where uh, every election is uh, marked and remembered most by the, uh, the, the mudslinging ads, so-and-so is not the right person for us. Uh, they kill polar bears, and you know, uh, I mean, just everything. I don't know if that's really true, but uh, uh, people tend to emphasize the negative. They love to build people up and make heroes. Why? So they can tear them down. And you and I can be torn down in the eyes of men. You and I can be rightly torn down in the eyes of men. Because guess what? We can mess up our own successes just fine in our sinful selves. And so if we live for any of these things, for the things that money and comfort can bring us, for the relationships, for the success, we find that these wells run dry and they can't fulfill us. Jesus uh, says as much to the woman and God has displayed for us that he will not tolerate idols, uh, those that take his place in the lives of those who are meant to worship him. Sometimes, if you read the Old Testament, he allows judgment to rest on those who should be worshiping him. Uh, see uh, Babylon and Assyria and all the ways throughout the history of Israel that he allows uh, wrath to be poured out on his children when they start worshiping gods other than him. Sometimes he even gets rid of our potential gods. I think of the story of Job, you know, uh, uh, all the things that he could have worshiped, his riches, his family, in one chapter, they're all gone. And Job wisely at the end of that chapter says, naked I came into the world, naked I shall return, blessed be the name of the Lord. He, he, he passed that worship test because when everything else was taken, he realized all I need is God and him alone. But sometimes God just leaves us to our own devices like he did with Solomon. Anybody read the book of Ecclesiastes? Solomon is this guy who experienced all of these more than you and I ever will. More money, way more relationships, and more success and admiration than any other person in the history of uh, Israel's history. But he gets to the end of his life and he looks back and he reports all of those things in the book of Ecclesiastes and what does he say over and over again? Stupid. Every bit of it was meaningless. It didn't fill me up. Sometimes, too many times, we choose to worship things other than God. We deviate what we were created to make as ultimate uh, and, and that's one of the reasons that we don't make them ultimate. We settle for lesser gods. What else keeps us from worshiping God? How about sin and shame? Sin and shame hold us back in our worship to God. Uh, Jesus, as the story goes, is uh, done having this back and forth about water, and he just says, hey, go call your husband and come back here and let's talk some more. He's going into her kitchen. And uh, the woman answered him correctly, I have no husband. Anybody ever been kind of honest with God? Uh, I've got no husband right now. And Jesus said, you are correct. You do not have a husband. Verse 18, for you have had how many? Five. That's uh, uh, one strikeout and two-thirds of another, right? Uh, and the one you have right now is not your husband. Uh, what you have said is true. Ever read a story over and over again and think, you know, I wonder who that guy was. Like, was that guy a married guy? Like, was she stepping out in an affair with a married man who was not her husband? Or she had met a single guy that, 
you know, on the down low, in the Jewish culture there, you did not, you know, uh, hang up or hang out and shack up or anything like that. In fact, does anybody remember the story where a woman was caught in adultery and they brought this woman to Jesus, the, the spiritual leaders did, and they said, hey, uh, the law tells us that we can stone this woman until she's dead. What do you say? And he says, he was without sin, cast the first stone. Everybody remember that? Don't forget the offense, though. She was caught being with someone that wasn't her husband. In the Jewish culture, that was a huge no-no. If you're wondering why this woman is getting water at 12 noon, uh, she's doing it because she doesn't want to see people. She doesn't want to make eye contact because she knows her sins. She's done her best to hide them from Jesus, but uh, verse 19, uh, she says this, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know way more than I thought you did. (laughs) And uh, they're going to go on and talk about worship here in a second. But you ever wonder why Jesus brings this out? Why does he draw this woman's sin into the light? Well, because... It's only when our sins are truly dealt with that we can freely and, and, and best worship the God that we were created to worship. Like, like sin holds us back. Whether it's us willfully clinging to sin instead of God and worshiping whatever the subject of our sin is over God, or whether it's the shame that we've experienced from our sin and the feeling that we are um, inadequate or unworthy of the worthiness of God. Anybody ever talked to someone about going to church and they said, oh no, man, that place would burn down if I went in there. They're making jokes. They probably just don't want to go. But I'm sure some of them are truly convinced, hey, I've outsinned the grace of God. There's no way that he would ever accept my worship. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us to, uh, uh, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1, uh, let us also lay aside, in, in the new uh, NIV, NIV it says, throw off every weight and, and the sins that so uh, easily cling to us and, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you think about this race that God's called us to as, as this pursuit of him, this, this desire to make much of him as we worship him, what do sins and shame do in that pursuit? They hold us back. If you're sitting here this morning having a hard time making God your ultimate, I'm, I'm guessing your sin and the shame that you have felt from your sin is perhaps a part of the reason that that's a difficulty for you. you know, the good news is that we can confess our sins and that when we do, John tells us, God's faithful and he forgives us our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He wants to set us free so that we can worship him as our ultimate. The last wall to worship is uh, seen here in the, the last part of this story. Uh, lots of times we, we don't understand what true worship is. We, we just don't know what true worship is. Look, look what Jesus says to her next. Well, actually, she asks a question. She says, hey, <laughs> because, because you've just talked about my five previous failed marriages and the guy that I'm sleeping with right now, um, can we change the subject? Let's change the subject, Jesus. Um, our fathers worshiped on this mountain uh, but you say that in Jerusalem, that's the place where people ought to worship. This was well known in the Hebrew scriptures. Jerusalem was the seat of the temple. Uh, sacrifices were meant to be given there. Like I told you earlier in the sermon, uh, the Samaritans didn't want to make that long journey and you know, be maligned for being Samaritans, so they created their own high place. They created a place to worship God uh, that 400 years prior to this, uh, the Jews had come and torn down as a place of idolatry because you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. So she's asking these questions. Hey, where are we supposed to worship? And Jesus... <laughs> Well, redirects her again. She says, he says to her, he says, woman, and this is not a 
woman, this is ma'am. He's speaking with respect. He wants her to hear what he's saying. He says, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. It's not about a place. It's not about a location. He says, uh, you worship what you do not know. Uh, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. He's, he's going to clarify what worship is, but it's very evident from this woman's question that she doesn't understand the God she worships or how worship is supposed to look. With so many people, it's the same thing. Uh, they, 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 they know enough to be... Uh, actively involved in some form of the worship of God, but they, uh, they have not dug deep enough into understanding him so that they could worship him purely and clearly. So let's get to what God requires of those who worship him. Let's get past this ignorance that can hold us back and answer this question. What does God require of those who worship him? Well, it's simple. Jesus says we just need to worship in spirit and in truth. Here's how he says it to the lady. He says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father, say it with me, in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He goes on and he says again, he says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now in the short time that I have left, let me just kind of summarize this whole spirit and truth thing in these two ways. Uh, we need to understand who God is. That's, that's what it is to worship him in truth. We need to recognize who he is, not make him up in our own minds. People love doing that with God. They love creating a God of their own construct. They love making God this like, you know, cosmic, you know, candy machine that if I put my prayers in, he's supposed to give me what I want. Or you know, this God who is, he's okay with, with some of my sins, but not these ones. As long as I don't do these sins, uh, I can do these sins, but, but, but that's how we create God and, and make him over in our own images, right? But God doesn't want... He doesn't want to be made over. He is God, and he wants us to know him for who he is and understand him. And, and from his word, uh, uh, seek to honor him in truth. But he doesn't want us just to stay in truth. He wants us to honor him from the inside out. He wants us to go to the deep cores of our beings, our soul, our spirit. Not just our minds, but our soul and our spirits. And he wants us to worship from there. We see this happen all the time in church. There's a, a group of people who will come in and, and they will worship God in spirit with their hearts, but they won't know anything about them. And these people are sincere and passionate, but dangerous because they can propagate all kinds of falsehoods as they uh, fail to understand who God really is and worship him in wrong ways. But then the other side of the coin is that tons of people come to the church, these are the traditions I came from, and they are saturated in truth. They can give you doctrine left and right, but their hearts don't beat for the God that they serve. And so they have this joyless legalism, this uh, heartless intellectualism. And it's, it's like, you know, like those old commercials in the 70s. We've got to get the peanut butter with the chocolate so we can make some Reese's, right? <laughs> some of you are like, what? We've got to get the truth and the heart and the spirit of our love for God together. So that in spirit and truth, we can honestly and uprightly and properly worship him. The woman says to him, hey, verse 24, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ here in this language that we share now. When he comes, he will tell us all things. I get where you're going, strange man, at the well at noon. I see where you're headed, but 
man, I'm looking forward to Jesus or, or the Messiah getting here. And then Jesus says this famous line. He says, uh, I am that I am. It's the uh, M-A-M-E. It's the I who speak to you am he. The interesting thing happens next. Disciples come back, verse 27, and they see this woman that Jesus is talking to, and they're like, oh, my gosh, he's crossing lines all over the place. He's not supposed to be talking to her at all. But then the next verse tells us, verse 28, that the woman left her water jar and went away into the town. And she said to the people, verse 29, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And the people, verse 30, went out, and they were coming to him. Later on in verse 39, it tells us that many believed. They actually said to the woman, we, we kind of believed we were interested when you talked to us, but then when we talked to him, we're all in. And great things happened. You know what my favorite part of this whole story is? It's almost a throwaway line. In verse 28, it tells us the woman left her jar. What had been her priority when she went to the well? Just get some water. I need some water for my home, for my cooking. They didn't have pipes. This is, this is the water for the day. But when she realized who she was talking to, when she entered into uh, true worship, everything else that was a priority, priority in her life just went to the side. Just forgot about it. And I submit to you that you will know when you are truly worshiping God because everything else in your life just fades away. Everything else becomes secondary, and your pursuit of him becomes your priority. I told you earlier that if we get this worship thing right, the other things just happen. Did you see what, what she did? She leaves her jar because Jesus is her priority now. And then what she do? The thing that she had spent the whole day trying not to do, she went and hung out with people. Why was she walking to a well at 12 noon? To avoid people. But when she met her Savior, she had to find some people. Why? Because he had gotten her attention, he had won her admiration, and she had poured out her adoration to the point that she couldn't shut up about him. She had to run into town. And she entered into belonging with people who did not want to belong to her. Hey, y'all, you're never going to guess who's out at the well. The Messiah is at the well. Didn't stop there. You gotta come talk to him. That's multiplication. You need to meet him. She's an evangelist. She's belonging. She's multiplying. She probably helped them clean up so they could get out there. She's serving. The other three of the four, they will be enacted. They will be unleashed when the children of God worship in spirit and truth. And so now, as we go forward, there's so much to say about worship. There's no way you can preach it in one sermon. But as we go forward, here's my prayer for us as a church. May we grow in our understanding of what it is to truly worship our ultimate, our God. May we worship him in spirit and truth. May we be unleashed in all of the other things that God has called us to because of our passionate understanding of who he is. May God grant us that kind of worship not just in the songs that we sing, not just in the hour that we spend together once a week, but in every phase, in every thought, action, in every word that falls from our faces, may they glorify our God 
as we live for him and him alone. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for a chance to, to worship you in life. You, you created us for this purpose. Uh, we have, uh, uh, because of our sin, chosen to worship other things, but you are relentless in your pursuit of us. Uh, your desire is to bring us back into line with our purpose, which is to honor and glorify you with all that we have in, in all that we do. Lead us to that, God. Take us deeper in what it is to worship you. Free us from the false idols, the wells that we draw from. Free us from the sin and the shame that keeps us from pursuing you fully. Free us, God, from the ignorance uh, and, the, and, and, the, and, the, and the false ideas that we have about you and lead us into spirit and truth. Lead us into passion and, 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 and right understanding so that you can have from us our firsts and make everything a distant second of God, I pray. In Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen. God bless you. We'll talk about another one next week. Come back and let's enjoy the four together.